This is episode 106 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. This episode features a recording of a talk I gave at the Paseo Group for their annual holiday alkathon. It's something I do every year, or have been at least for the past four years. This was kind of fun as I was speaking. Uh, one of my early sponsors, I believe he was my second sponsor, walked into the room and uh, it kind of changed the trajectory of my talk a little bit, but uh, it was really a special night and I'm glad I had the opportunity. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, John. I'm glad that I'm here. Um, this is the fourth year in a row that I've been able to speak at the Paseo's um, Alcathon, and I want to keep this up. And I almost missed it because I swear to God, I was in my pajamas. I was ready to go to bed thinking it's going to be tomorrow at midnight. <laughs> but then my alarm came on and said, oh, you're going to be speaking at the Paseo group. <laughs> I thought, dang. So I, I rushed up here as quick as I could. I, got, I, 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 just, I sped up on Highway 71. But there were still people driving faster than me, and I thought I was going pretty fast. There's like, you know, no speed limit on 71, it seems, but so I'm glad to be here. So um, I didn't really prepare anything because I thought I had some time to think about what I was going to say. So I'm just going to share my story and talk about some things that are on my mind. I think about the program a lot, and uh, there's there's been a few steps I've been thinking about that I might want to talk about a little bit. but. Uh, just to qualify real quickly, um, I've been sober for 30 years. I got sober, my last drink was uh, sometime around July 20th of 1988. And uh, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. 1988, yes. So this will take a while. <laughs> but um, <laughs> my situation was I was, I was only, uh, I was just, I just turned 26. But my situation was that um, I, uh, I drank uh, out of control pretty much from the beginning, um, but the last five years of my drinking were pretty bad. Uh, I was a blackout drinker, and I drank uh, pretty much like every other day. I was either drunk or sick, and I started getting uh, DWIs, and um, I got my third DUI um, in 88, and uh, I was getting like one a year. and. Um, that third one cost me my job and my apartment and um, everything else I had, which wasn't a whole lot. But I remember when I was getting fired from my job because they, they found out about this DUI and I used to drive their vehicles and uh, they knew I had two DUIs already and they uh, told me if I ever got another one, they'd have to fire me. and. They also thought that I had a drinking problem because they had often talked to me about it and offer me um, help. Uh, they'd tell me that they could get me into a treatment center, I could go there and come back and so forth. But I told them that I didn't have a problem. I, I guess I didn't really believe that I did. Um, I thought I could somehow get it under control, but when they fired me, they reminded me of all these, these um, offers of help that they gave me. And they also reminded me of all the, the times that I uh, didn't show up or came in not looking so well and didn't keep my word and all of that. And so they told me they had to let me go. And uh, 
I sat there in, in their office uh, with tears coming down my cheeks and I said, I just didn't know I had a problem. And when I said that, that was as honest as I could be at the time. I didn't think I had a problem. I didn't know I had a problem, is what I told them. But now that I'm in AA, I, 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 think, I, I think the truth was I couldn't admit that I had a problem. I always knew, but I just, I just couldn't admit it. I, 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 I wanted to somehow, I just, I, I lied to myself and everyone else. So, um, when they fired me, that, that's what propelled me to my very first AA meeting. And it was a downtown Nooners group. At the time, they were meeting at 11th and Grand. And um, I walked in there and they had the, I was the first one in the room. They had the 12 steps and the 12 traditions on the wall. And one thing that kept me from getting help was um, my age. I was, I was pretty young. The first time I, I thought that I should go to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was 19 years old. And um, I told myself, that's ridiculous. No, I'm, I'm, I'm too young. And so um, I didn't go. I, I just, I, I thought to be an alcoholic, you had to, you had to really, um, you know, get up there in years, I suppose. But I, I looked at the... 12 steps and the 12 traditions. And that first step, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I just thought those words described perfectly the situation that I was in at the time. I couldn't think of any better way to put it. And that third tradition, I saw that, that the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. And I had that. It wasn't like I wanted to stop drinking. It was I had to stop drinking because I could not take it anymore. Um, life was unbearable. So that gave me hope. It was like I didn't have to worry about how old I was and if some doctor would diagnose me as an alcoholic or whatever. I knew that I, I found a place where I belonged. And then people filtered into the room and they introduced themselves and they gave me coffee and they gave me a first step meeting. And that was a powerful experience because it was the first time in my life that I ever heard somebody call themselves an alcoholic. And I remember when I heard that, it was like shocking that someone would make that admission. But then they shared their stories with me. And some of, some of what they went through was almost identical to the problems that I was having as far as how I drank and the, and the problems I was having in my life. Some of them were really different. But, but the one thing that was the same was how we felt about our drinking. Man, I could really relate. And, but what was more powerful about that meeting was that the people that were telling me these stories were sitting there in suits. They had jobs. They were clean. They had homes. It looked like their lives were together. And they were talking about the past. And some of them even laughed. And it was like I could tell that they had gotten out of this thing. So I was like immediately filled with hope. And they told me, they told me to come back, so I did. And I guess I'm really very lucky. Um, they're, they're, I have not had to drink. Uh, I have not relapsed since I've been um, in AA. And I, I don't know why other than I followed suggestions. The, the closest I ever came to drinking, I was the man walking in the room right now, John was my sponsor. And I called him one night. I was two years sober. 
Yeah, you might remember this, John. Um, I was two years sober, and I had this thought in my mind that I was going to buy a bottle of apricot brandy. I don't know why I thought of apricot brandy. I think it was some memory from high school. I was going to get that bottle, and I was going to put it in my coat pocket so it would be there when I needed it. And I had this thought in my mind, and I just couldn't get it out. And then one day, I went to a liquor store to get that bottle. And I was in that store, and I was nervous and scared. And I turned around, and I went home, and I called John, sitting right here. And I can't remember what we talked about, but I told him that I went to a liquor store, and I was ready to buy a bottle. And I talked to him, and I didn't no longer wanted to buy a bottle. And that could have saved my life. I, I don't know what would have happened had I not called him. Had I not called him, what would have happened the next day or the next day? So that's how it works. And that's why I haven't drank, is because of doing things like that. I don't have any control over this. I, even after all this time, there could be thoughts to drink. But I, stay, I really stay involved in AA. And as long as I do, I feel like I can use some... I have, I, I have, some, I have some sanity over it now, I suppose. As long as I do these things that, I'm, that were suggested to do that I've been doing. So, so nice to see John. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I haven't seen John for a long time, but he took me through the big book. A lot, of what, a lot of what I've been grounded in with the program, I got from him. And he got it from someone else. But going back to my story, they told me to go to meetings, and I did. I had to. I was propelled to. Because I had all these problems that that were that came out of my drinking that had to be resolved. I mean, the DUI, other tickets and legal problems and losing my apartment and all this stuff. And I was just full of fear of, of what was going to happen to me. And the only way I knew to shut down those feelings was to drink. And the only way I knew to be comfortable was to be in an AA meeting. So in those first few months, I was in a lot of AA meetings, and it really did help me. After about six months or so, that might be about the time I approached John, I think, and he got me into the big book where we started going through the steps. He had me read things repetitively, Repetitively, whatever. <laughs> Repetitively. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> he said um, he wanted me to read that doctor's opinion. This was almost torture. He wanted me to read a doctor's opinion every single day for 30 days. If I missed a day, I had to start all over again. And I was stupid enough that I was actually honest and told him when the day I missed, I had to start over again. So I read that chapter probably more than any other, but it was good. The one thing that I liked about it well, a couple things, but the one thing that really um, hit home with me was the idea that I needed an entire psychic change, that I needed, I needed to change. And there was also that little paragraph about, you know, we drink because we're restless, irritable, and discontent. 
and that once we once we drink, you know, it kicks in, unlike other people, and we can't control. And that just made it just made sense to me, and that's always been kind of the basis of my understanding of of alcoholism. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go fast forward now because I've got 30 years to cover. <laughs> um, Life was good. I was going to I was going to meetings at P3, and things were getting better. Um, the first ten years of my sobriety, I think I spent I think most of my life was spent surrounded by AA people going to meetings. My almost everybody I knew was in AA. They were my friends. Um, sometimes I'd go to meetings at P3 just to meet up with people to go to a movie or something. I mean, it was it was really the center focus of my life. And then in 99, um, after I'd been sober for 10 years, my father died unexpectedly. He was 64 and he got some kind of a virus and in three days he died. And that put me on a different track. I didn't abandon AA, but I realized that there I was, I was 35 years old and I had never really accomplished any of the, any of the things that I thought that I would accomplish in my life, like going to school and getting married and buying a house and, you know, these things, these things like that. So at that time, I, that's what I did. I enrolled in school. I got a degree. I bought a house, got better jobs, ended up getting married. And for the first time, my life, my life, AA was still the, the bedrock. It was still the foundation of my life, but it wasn't my entire life. And I was, I was beginning to meet people from other walks of life. And I was learning um, in school different things and th how to think critically and so forth. And so my thinking be began to change a little bit. And I wasn't going to, to as many meetings, but I was, I was doing fine. And I think that that's what the program was for, was so that I could recover my life and I could do the things that I couldn't do because of my drinking. So after this, this tenure, this went on for quite a while, this period of time, um, I got married and so forth. And so I, I, go, I, start, I start getting back into going to meetings on a regular basis again. But a, there's been a real change with me. During the time that I was working with John, um, I was praying every day. They had me doing the drill. I'd get on my knees and I'd pray at, in the morning and I'd pray at night. But I stopped that. Sometime after my dad died, I stopped all the praying. And I, and I, and I, and I started having these creeping doubts about whether or not there was even a God. And I would go to meetings and I knew the lingo, John Tommy. <laughs> I knew I knew how I knew what to say in meetings that would get the heads to pop up and down with approval, and, and that's pretty much what I did. But I wasn't telling people I wasn't praying. I wasn't telling people that I was having these doubts. And then after about I hit twenty five years of sobriety, and I realized um, I'm an atheist, and it scared me because I thought, how am I going to do AA? And so I got out the big book, which has always been the foundation of my recovery, 
And I looked at it a little bit different. You know, John used to always have me highlight everything in the book, which, which is great. But this time what I did, I started crossing stuff out. So what I did, I went through the book, and any reference to God or, or, or spiritual, supernatural thing, I would cross it out. And when I did that, what I noticed was underneath that were the real life experiences that I had and the practical action that I was taking. And it made sense to me, like the big book says, that this is a practical program of action, that it doesn't matter what I believe. I respect and honor people of faith who believe that there's a God that, that empowers them to do these things. That's important, and I never would want to take that away from them. I'm empowered by you. I'm empowered by the people in the rooms. And I can tell you that that's probably the only difference. The experience is the same. When I look at the first three steps, for example, these kind of set me up. For the, for the rest of the program. And I kind of think that those first three steps are a description of what kind of happens to us organically, naturally, through the recovery process. We get to a point, I got to a point, where I gave up. I need help. I admit I have a problem. Step one, I came to believe that there was hope for me in AA. Step two, and I made a decision to work the program, step three. I went on to step four and five on down. So for me, I don't see the difference. Now, I started sharing my new outlook at P3, and sometimes I might not have done it well, and sometimes it seemed like the literature was contradicting some things that I believed in. Like, for example, the reading of how it works. I didn't like that. There were a lot of things I didn't like. Remember, I was crossing stuff out in the big book. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I didn't, I, I, I got to the point where I don't think the guys at P3 made me feel this way, but I didn't feel comfortable there anymore. I didn't really feel like I could be who I, who I was now. But I was doing some research and I found that since 1975 there have been special interest groups in AA for agnostics and atheists. And so I started one here in Kansas City, the We Agnostics group. It's an AA group like any other. We just don't open and close with a prayer. And we believe that that just creates an environment where everybody's welcome. It just takes the it, it takes that one obstacle that people might have away. And we just share and help each other. We work the steps, we sponsor, we do everything that, every, that any other AA group would do. But, we just, but it makes a big difference for us to not have to use the Lord's Prayer or any kind of other prayer in a meeting. But it really makes a difference for the new person who doesn't want, doesn't, who, who is even if they're religious sometimes, they, they don't want to have their religion brought into their recovery. And it's a totally individual choice. Some people want to use that, some people don't. Right. So we give them that option. Exactly. So anyway, a couple of things I've been thinking about lately that I wanted to talk about, because I do think about the steps a lot. And two steps I've been thinking about and talking about are steps six and seven.
And these are really important steps, I think, because this is really where the work gets done. Now, I know they say that we get ready for God to take our defects away, and then, and then he does, I suppose. But the way, that I, the way that I see it is there's work that I need to do. And I like the way that Bill Wilson described, described these steps into 12 and 12 as a character-building process. And that's how, for a long time, I've been looking at it as the building of character. I identified these problems in steps four and five. So in steps six and seven, I need the willingness to take the action to do something about these. And sometimes I think of these as just traits, personality traits that I need to change. But I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine, a fellow atheist, and she told me, she said, you know, these character defects were coping mechanisms. These were things that I, these were behaviors that I used to cope with my addiction. And these things made my life difficult even without drinking. And I need to find a way, a different way to cope with life. So I need to be willing to have these coping mechanisms replaced with healthy behaviors. And that's how she sees it. And it got me thinking that, wow. And she said, you know, what she tells her sponsees, she says, just work on one. Just work on one at a time. And that just really seems like good advice because as you, as you work on one, you might not completely take care of it, but you're consciously aware that there's an area there that you want to improve upon. And that might bring up another one and another one and another one. So those two steps really keep, they, they, they really keep me engaged if I think about it because I have to stop and think about my behaviors and how I'm acting and, and, what, I, and what I want to change. So anyway, that's, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Something else I've been thinking about is um, the importance of uh, service. Um, this was actually impressed upon me again. I, he, this guy here, he had, he had a, a lot to do with, my, with who I am today. But we, we used to go on old-fashioned 12-step calls. And John remembers a time when we went over to some guy's house. Remember Rob? We oh, took, him to the took him to the hospital and blood everywhere. And we did things like that. And, you know, if we weren't doing that, we were making coffee or we were cleaning out ashtrays. And, you know, that, that was a big deal. You know, any time that we were asked to go speak somewhere, that's what we did, you know. So service is important. And I've been thinking, I've been thinking about this a lot. Service is important to the Paseo group, I know for a fact, because when I go to the area assembly and when I go to district, the Paseo group is always represented. And so when, I was, when we were starting our group, We Agnostics, I wanted, I wanted my group to have the same sense of service as the Paseo group does. I wanted to kind of pattern after you guys. And I'm kind of proud now that when we go to area assembly, there are three of us that go there now. Uh, and we're now on our third generation of GSRs. And what I find by, by be, with this level of involvement, um, this is service outside the group, how it's helped me is it's, it's given me a connection to others in AA that aren't like me. It gets me out of my little bubble, out of my own group, and it gets me interacting and talking to people from other groups. And 
And it's good for me and it's good for them because we can have conversations and we can see what we have in common. And I think that focusing on those things that we have in common are critical to this whole idea of unity in AA, which is essential if we're, if we're gonna, if any of us are going to survive in this fellowship. So when I go to area assembly, I work with people from other groups and they might be, they might be all kinds of different religions, believers, it doesn't matter. What, we don't care what we believe. There's work that we need to do and we get together to get the work done. And the work is for the benefit, al benefit of Alcoholics Anonymous and the work is for the benefit of the person, the still suffering alcoholic out there who wants help. And that's all we wanna do is we wanna find a way to better help the still suffering alcoholic. And there's so many people out there that we still need to reach. And there's so many problems that are going on. And you know, our society is changing so much. There's all kinds of different ways of reaching people now. And it's really, for me, it's fun to be involved and it's exciting to be involved in this whole idea of working with people to you know, further, further our work. I'm also blown away by the quality of the people that I meet at Area Assembly who have, who have represented us at the General Service Conference in New York, our, our area delegates. And what really amazes me is the people who served as area delegates in years past still go to area assembly to help us out. They still show up to, to let us know how things work. And that's, that's really critical because if, they, if, if we didn't have their, their experience, we would just be fumbling around with this book trying to figure things out. And I'm realizing that that's the same thing that happens at the group level. We have to have the old timers, and I guess I'm one now, who can sit around and, and, and let people know how things work, you know? And we also need the people who have done trusted service positions within the group to back up the people that are doing it now to let them know how it's done. And it's, I just think it's important because this is how the group functions, you know? Um, from the very beginning, our, our group had business meetings and the group decides what it's gonna do, you know? And um, it's been a great experience. Help being part of creating a, a new AA group has been the greatest experience of my life. And that sounds extraordinary to say something like that, but it really is the truth. I get to see people get their lives together and make friends. And my favorite part of the meeting, I think, is when I leave at night and I see the younger people gathering around smoking cigarettes, and they probably shouldn't smoke, but they're smoking cigarettes and they're talking and they're forming friendships. And they're, and they're doing what I was doing when I was young and I was starting out, was, was forming those bonds with those people that I could pick up the phone and call when I need to. And I see that and I almost get chills that, wow, you know, that starting this group is helping these people. And we laugh and we, you know, like every AA meeting does, we have a good time. We get serious when we need to, you know, it's a beautiful thing. So I also got to learn a lot about myself and, and other things in life that 
with that group. You know, when when you start it, when you start an AA meeting, you know, you have the 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 benefit of just you and one other person, right? So we can do things however we want to. We can set it up. This is how our meeting's going to be. But then other people start coming in, right? And they might want to do things a little bit different. And so if the group is really going to survive, those of us who started the group have to stand back and let go and let the, let the rest of them have it. And I was able to do that, and it was the best, it was the best experience. And I'm so glad that that's the way it did. If I had tried to hold on to control, that group would not exist. It would just die. So, anyway, a lot of stuff. I, a lot of stuff to learn. Am I? How long am I supposed to speak? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> you put your hand up speak. Well, you in your group? You know what? Would you like to speak, John? Well, yeah, I will. Yeah, he's not from my group, but I love this guy. Like I say, you know, I haven't seen him for a long time. He was. He was like my one of my first sponsors.